Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, June 6th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show... On the eve of primary day in Mississippi, we talk elections with the Secretary of State. Then, how one prospective patient influenced his town's decision to opt into the state's medical cannabis program. And the state preschool report reveals a decline in enrollment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippians head to the polls tomorrow to cast their ballots in primary elections. 2022 is a congressional midterm election year. There are several contested congressional races, and this cycle will be the first with redrawn districts. The biggest changes coming to the second congressional district and some voting precincts may have also changed since the last election. MPB's Kobe Vance talks to Secretary of State Michael Watson about this year's primary. Primary. Your research. Uh, there's also the ability to mail in vote. Uh, those have to be cast by election day, with postmark by election day, and then received within five business days thereafter. Uh, so there are a couple options there, and obviously on election day. So June 7th, and polls will be open from 7 to 7. Uh, there's also a levy commissioner uh, position in the Delta. Uh, so there's a, a handful of counties that will have that election. I encourage you to go to our website and, and check out our, our ballots there. Uh, to, to see what's going to be on. So you can go and look and see what your ballot's going to look like and uh, be prepared again on Election Day to go vote. Do you have any expectations for turnout this year? So we've got about 6,000 so far, roughly, uh, absentees uh, that have been requested and about 4,000 or so that have been cast. Uh, so it's kind of a lower number. Uh, we're hoping that is going to pick up. And, again, you know, we, we just came out of Memorial Day and uh, thinking about all the men and women who, who died, who gave all they had for us to have this ability to be free and go vote. I, just, I encourage folks to honor that, uh, make sure they get out and vote, and make sure their voice is heard. Since everybody voted last, uh, there's been redistricting in Mississippi. You know, what do you think people should be cognizant of when they're going to the polls to make sure that they're at the place they need to be? Yeah, obviously congressional redistricting, that has been uploaded into SIMS. Uh, so folks do need to be aware of that. If you're not quite sure, the fail-safe method is always to call your circuit clerk or your election commissioner. Uh, sometimes those lines, and not in this case, but sometimes those lines do change closer to elections, and folks need to be aware of that. So it's always key to make sure you're talking to your local elected officials, not just about redistricting, but about everything. Uh, Mississippi is a bottom-up state. 
so our circuit clerks and our elections commissioners are the real heroes uh, do the really hard work with elections so making sure you're in touch with them uh, especially about redistricting when that happens to make sure you know you're in their proper precinct is very important if people have questions about where they need to go in terms of their own polling location where can they go to find that information uh, aside from just calling their circuit clerk's office Sure. Again, and I just I want to preface this. Sometimes there are changes that are made, uh, and, and at kind of not last minute, but changes that are made leading up into an election. So it's always most important to talk to your circuit clerk's office. Now, we do have a polling locator on our website. Uh, that is, uh, folks can go check that. Uh, the, the issue there is, you know, that is updated and data is pulled from Sims uh, on a on a date specific. So if any changes are made uh, after that, it could be a difference there uh, in, in your line. So uh, always lean back on, call your circuit clerk to make sure you have the most up-to-date information, uh, and that's very important to remember. What are your thoughts on security going into this election cycle? Do you think that the state is ready to take on any uh, possible security if, uh, issues? I do. I think it's very important to note Mississippi had a great election in 20. Uh, you know, election fraud is real, so I want folks to understand that. Uh, there's a scattering of events that we saw, uh, nothing widespread, nothing that would have impacted uh, the election at the high level there. But what folks need to remember, if, it, if it's even one, you know, that could impact a local election. Sometimes we focus on the macro and we look at this high level and forget about, you know, the local level races. So it's very important to note that now. Uh, we, we're on constant, uh, you know, contact and constant contact with our circuit clerks, uh, with with DHS, with CISA, with uh, FBI, with the State Department, you name it, uh, to make sure that we're aware of what's going on. I talk to secretaries of state from around the country uh, to make sure, hey, look, if I see something in Ohio, if I see something in Nevada or, or some other state, uh, possibly, hey, heads up, Mississippi, you may see this. So it's important to have those levels of communication as well. And then we partner with different groups uh, to do pen testing on our system to make sure that SIMS is safe, your data is safe in our database there. So uh, we're, we're talking to as many people as we can to make sure we've got a broad approach and uh, keeping a close eye on that. So elections in Mississippi are done really well. And I think the decentralized piece of that is also important for folks to note uh, that it's handled at the county level, at the local level. So that's very important as well. You mentioned something earlier as well in, in, that, in that topic that, you know, one vote can make a difference. How how important is it for people to come out and vote during these primary elections? It's so, so important. Again, you think about just coming out of Memorial Day and the men and women who gave everything they had for us to be free and for us to be able to go voting and uh, hear opinions and democracy in action. Uh, folks going out and getting able to, to cast their vote and hear their, you know, make sure their voice is heard at the, at the local level. And so, again, we talk about macro at the, at the federal level versus micro at the local level. We've seen tied elections in Mississippi, and so it's very important. Every single vote counts, uh, so make sure that you're taking the time to research your candidates, uh, to make a plan to go vote. If you're going to be out of town for work, uh, or several other reasons, again, go to yallvote.ms to see the reasons that you can absentee vote. But make sure that you're prepared and making a plan so you don't get called on election day out of town and you think, oh, man, I forgot to go vote. So important uh, to, to honor the men and women who fought for that right and to make sure your voice is heard. I wanted to save this question for last because it is a little slightly off topic, but um, a report came out recently from Mississippi Today highlighting that Mississippi's uh, U.S. Census might have been underreported. Do you think that could have affected Mississippi's redistricting process this year? 
you know, if you look at redistricting, obviously, at a, a broad level, and you think about it, maybe a 4% swing there, I don't think those numbers would have been concentrated enough in any of the districts. Uh, now, have we seen the final, hey, look, this is where the population was. This, here's where we missed. I, don't, I haven't seen that yet. So I think it's very rare uh, or very uh, improbable that that would impact the district level line. Uh, but, you know, nothing is impossible. Uh, so if, if that 4% was in one specific area in one specific congressional district, then possibly it would have pushed it out. But you got to remember, uh, you got variance in those uh, numbers. Uh, so it can it can it can trend or expand just a, just a uh, contract or expand just a touch, and still be within uh, the the right numbers. So I don't think that it was specifically uh, located in any certain congressional district, uh, but I have not seen those numbers yet to make that determination. Michael Watson, a Secretary of State for Mississippi, uh, thank you so much for talking with us today. You got it, my friend. Have a good day. Coming up, how one prospective patient influenced his town's decision to opt into the state's medical cannabis program. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Fix It 101 is a fun podcast with lots of home improvement information. Even if that's not your bag, all of the episodes are archived online. So if the mood strikes you or if the need motivates you, you can search your project. And yes, there is a Fix It 101 podcast for that. Do you drive a vehicle? Then you'll find AutoCorrect helpful, especially on Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Listen to our podcast with me, Coach Charlie Melton, on any podcasting platform or on the MPB Public Media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Greg Turk wasn't exactly prepared when he rose to speak at a meeting of the Board of Aldermen in Philadelphia in April, but the stage four lung cancer patient showed up with his son because he heard city officials were reconsidering a vote they made to opt out of the state's medical cannabis program. Greg Turk shares what happened next with MPB's Rhonda Dunaway. I got up there and, and uh, told them that I thought that being a cancer patient, I've got stage four lung cancer, that uh, and it it relieves my it relieves the anxiety. Uh, the, along with my immunotherapy goes the um, fatigue. Well, fatigue. People think, well, you're you're feeling lazy. Well, no, mm-hmm. fatigue is actually your your muscles just don't want to cooperate. But you're you're possibly not sleepy, and you're still thinking of all this stuff you need to do, and that causes anxiety. Mm-hmm. The marijuana relieves the anxiety. Um, it relieved the um, the nausea I was getting from my treatment and stuff like that. And I told him that, and uh, I got through talking. And I'm sure that the Lord was speaking through me on a lot of stuff because we were ill-prepared as I am today and they were talking about suspending even voting on it for 30, 60 or 90 days. And, um, I spoke up out of turn and they let me speak again. And I asked them how long a minute was when you were suffering. The mm-hmm. message they got out of it was, have you ever been a cancer patient? Well, whatever, whatever the Lord's message was for them to have, they got it. And, uh, there was two of them that were going to vote it in, and two were vote, voted out. And we changed one of them um, after he said after hearing my story, uh, he changed his vote to vote it in. So we we were uh, three to one on that. 
How does it feel to have a, you know, city official um, react to or, you know, respond to your needs as a citizen? Well, he was responding to our needs, and I was I was fairly upset that there were only four of us there. It's open to the public, and I know that there's more than four people there that are advocates for having marijuana legalized, you know, for medical or, or recreation or whatever. Mm. And it, it's just sad that the people don't know that if they go up there and they speak their voice and they know that their voice is heard, something might get done about it. But a lot of people are content to stay at home and fuss about it, complain about it, and all that stuff like that, but not really get up and, and, and speak up. And that's what America's all about. Do you feel like the a lot of the opposition is ignorance of the the plant or maybe exactly? A, and and I know for a fact, and and I don't want to be slanderous, but uh, you know, the, uh, I'm sure that there was more than one person after that meeting that went home and had a drink of alcohol. And uh, I, I I can't see where you can't go to a store or to a liquor liquor place or whatever and get a pack of marijuana or get a drink or whatever or go to the drugstore or the pharmacy. Mm-hmm. I even think that the, the insurance should pay for it. They're paying for methadone for heroin addicts. I've never done heroin. I've never been around anybody doing heroin. But if the government can do that type of stuff, why can't they simply pay for cancer patients? Um, I didn't want cancer. I didn't want to be disabled. I was working, making a uh, a good living as a pipeline inspector, and um, when they found out that I had cancer, I was I was laid off, and then the pandemic hit. But uh, we're in we're in good shape as far as you know all that stuff goes. But I don't understand our government the things that they pick and choose that they will help people on it and they won't help people on. And I think a lot of that is is due to ignorance. They've been studying marijuana since the fifties. Um, do you um, feel like things are, are going to change for yourself as a patient if this if you're able to uh, get the medicine that you need as far as medical marijuana? Yes, a- a- ab- absolutely. It won't be a, a black ops operation to uh, <laughs> try to get some. And I support law enforcement, and the, the chief of police was right there in the meeting and stuff like that, and I shook his hand before and after the meeting. I mean, we, we're just a small community. We all know each other. Well, do you think there is some element of fear among others that, you know, that you feel like should have been there to speak up also? Maybe they have a fear of law enforcement, and, you know, they have reputations and jobs and places in the community, and there's that element of fear that that would, you know, destroy something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, People in this era of political correctness are scared to speak their mind on what their peers uh, may may think of them. Uh, uh, My deal is if you're right, you're right. I think it's medicinal values haven't haven't really been tapped to the full potential. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I think everybody could benefit from it. I think a lot of the uh, people are worried about what the church will say or 
and all this other stuff. But uh, marijuana is a plant. You plant it, you see it, you know, it's a seed. Mm-hmm. You plant it, you grow it just like corn, tomatoes, anything else. The only process you have to do is put a little fire on it. Well, I really appreciate your point of view on this subject. Is there anything else you want to add before we go? People need to speak up for what they think is right. They need to talk to the government authorities, city authorities, county, state, federal, whatever they need to do. Don't sit around and complain about you don't like the way things are or make a change. Greg Turk is a Philadelphia resident and a prospective medical cannabis patient. Applications to become a qualified patient or provider are now available through the Mississippi Department of Health. Coming up, the State of Preschool report reveals a decline in enrollment. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, nurse practitioner and associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, there's information you can use to help maintain a healthy lifestyle. Just search for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Over the years, Mississippi lawmakers have made access to preschool a top education priority. And in 2021, the State of Pre-K Report, the National Institute for Early Education Research, recognizes Mississippi as one of the only five states where state-funded pre-K programs meet all 10 quality standards for early childhood education. But access to those programs lags compared to similarly rural states. Lead author Allison Friedman Krause shares more with our, or rather shares more with our Michael Guidry. We saw a large uh, decline in enrollment in state-funded preschool between the 2019-20 and the 2020-21 school years. Pretty much across the board, there were six states, I believe, that increased enrollment. Mississippi was one of the states that decreased enrollment. Um, They're so sort of (laughs) similar to other states, similar to other states right around them as well geographically. Um, We also saw um, on average decreases in spending for preschool from uh, the year before until the 2020-21 school year, but those decreases in spending were not uh, as large as the decreases in enrollment we saw partially because many states were either able to hold preschool um, spending steady or in some cases, like Mississippi, actually increased spending on preschool. So in this situation, Mississippi was one of the handful of states that did increase spending for preschool during the pandemic. Uh, So let's talk about where Mississippi ranks as far as uh, general enrollment. Um, uh, According to the 2021 report, Mississippi ranks 38 for four-year-olds. Is that ranking strictly based on um, enrollment? What other factors go into uh, developing the access rankings? The access ranking is based on the population, the percentage of four-year-olds served. So in Mississippi in 2021, 7% of four-year-olds were served by their preschool program. So we simply take the number of children, the number of four-year-olds enrolled in the program, divide them by the number of four-year-olds in Mississippi based on census data. 
And that's how we get to 7%. And it's the same way we do it in all the states. Um, so out of 45 states, which includes D.C., Mississippi ranks pretty close to the bottom at 38, all, reaching only 7% of um, four-year-olds. Now I want to shift to, to state spending. Um, and there's some interesting uh numbers here, at least to me, uh, when it comes to all reported spending, which um, uh, based on what I can calculate from the report, uh, that that is federal contributions, state contributions, local contributions. Uh, Mississippi is kind of in the middle of the pack at 25th. Uh, but when it comes to how much the state itself is investing state dollars into pre-K programs, uh, that ranking falls to 40th. What is the, the, the gap there uh, that, that at least that, you, that your research indicates? Well, so Mississippi, you know, the, their per child spending is about, or last year was about $2,800 per child. In a typical non-COVID year, that number is actually lower, most likely. Um, but Mississippi doing something that's great. They're blending funds across state and federal and local um, sources to support preschool and um, that's helping to sort of make up the difference what they needed. I, I believe the program requires a match. So the state contributes X amount of dollars and the local contributions need to match that amount. Um, if you look at their pre-K spending compared to their K-12 spending, the, you know, the numbers are still lower on the pre-K side, but sort of the portions are more similar between the state, local, and federal. So it's sort of mirroring what you see in K-12 in terms of um, blending of funding to serve the children. I don't know if there's a, you know, a quantifiable way to measure this, but, I mean, in Mississippi we talk a lot about um, rural communities, small rural communities, uh, and, and, and how that at times has been a detriment to you know, developing access to, to pre-K programs. And the, you might not have an answer to this, but uh, is there any, any way to kind of assess uh, that factor, uh, the factor of, of, you know, rural states that we see a lot in the Deep South that don't have large metropolitan areas that you see maybe along the uh, the West Coast or the, the Atlantic Seaboard? And, and is there a way to kind of consider uh, the, the rural landscape of a place like Mississippi when it comes to looking at gains made in preschool access? Yeah, that's a great question. And it, as you said, it is sort of hard to assess because we don't ask questions about like at the local level. We're really looking at state level overviews. But um, there are states. So Alabama is, you know, always an example of your neighbor. They really have made steady progress over the years, increasing access and maintaining a high quality program. Um, so, that you know, that's an example where they probably have some similar challenges as Mississippi does in terms of the rural communities. Um, Arkansas is another state that's been um, a leader in preschool. Um, and then there's, you know, other states like North Dakota that are just starting the program and reaching a small fraction of, of their, their children. And then other states that you think of as pretty rural, like um, Idaho and Wyoming, that just don't even have state-funded preschool programs. So there certainly are challenges in reaching the rural communities, and um, we don't we don't have data to really answer those questions. But I think you can look at other states that have done it. I mean, Oklahoma maybe isn't as rural, but they have an almost universal program. Um, West Virginia has an almost universal program. Um, so I think there are good examples of other states with with rural populations um, that Mississippi could look to for expanding their access to preschool. 
the point is that you know Mississippi is definitely making progress, and they've uh, instituted a a raise in the per child spending, I believe. So they're they're moving closer to really funding the high quality program. They've got the standards in place, but I think um, they do be great to see the them you know increase enrollment, increase funding for the, for their program, and continuing to work with Head Start to deliver services to four year olds and three year olds at some point. Allison Friedman Krauss is the lead author of the 2021 State of Pre-K Report. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.